Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking innovation. It's maybe one of the coolest topics that we haven't spent enough time on on the Contender Cast, and you guys are going to be blown away by the conversation today. Uh, my new friend, Kaihan Krippendorf, is on. He is the thought leader in this space. Kaihan, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Justin. I'm excited. And, um, you know, I, as I always say, I, I always like to do my homework before any podcast. And I mean, I just couldn't stop reading the things that you have done and the content you've written and the ideas you've got around innovation. And I mean, I've met people that quote unquote, no innovation, but dude, this is like your space. It's awesome. Well, yeah, it's my, yeah, it's my deep spike. That's a lot <laughs> I don't know about, but this is what I've dedicated the last 20 years to is understanding innovation strategy, how people think my passion I'm, I'm blown away um for those listening that haven't met kaihan you've got to check out just do any search on his name and you will find tons of great content i mean from books to speaking to um his work at mckinsey and with major companies but here's the thing so i wanted to start with this um you didn't just happen into this space so if and i was looking at your background right mckinsey consultant mba undergrad mechanical engineering i mean penn columbia like hardcore numbers and economics like if i that's how I would have summed up a lot of your background, but here you are in innovation and creativity. So help me with like, how did this all start for you? Yeah, I started my career really as a numbers person. I was an investment banker. And then I got to realize that looking at a company as just spitting out cash flows really misses a lot of the exciting human dimension of it. So I got really curious about, you know, the, you know, companies grow from ideas. So where do ideas come from? And I spent a good deal of time trying to understand and do the research on how do great strategists come up with these really big disruptive ideas. And kind of in my book, I'll Think the Competition, developed a framework, think of it as a coaching framework or a thinking framework that anyone can apply to begin thinking like, uh, like Elon Musk or like Steve Jobs, at least in the area of business, right? So um, that is really the the passion and interest that drove me to do the work um, that I've done up until this point. And then with my new book, Driving Innovation Within, kind of my, my question moved from where, not where do ideas come from only, but where do they go, particularly if you're working inside a company and you want to drive innovation from within and, and have an impact on the world. How do you get through all the political and cultural hurdles to get that idea out and into the market? Well, I love that. And for those listening, we are going to cover both of those books today, which I'm excited about. Um, how did you decide to go from corporate, big company, and whatnot to starting your own company, Outthinker, and and whatnot? How did you decide? You know, I'm going to take my brand and and build a company around it. Well, it really was just a passion for the work. So I started writing a book before I joined McKinsey, and then it took me seven years to write the book, and then eventually published it. And I remember this is about 2004. I went to my manager at McKinsey and I said, you know, I would I'd, I'd publish this book. I'd like to incorporate this into my work. Um, and it was very clear that why he while he supported the work, there wasn't going to be an opportunity to do it from within. So that's when I kind of took the leap, and and it was scary, as any entrepreneur knows. I quit. And, um, and I started, I didn't know what I was doing. I just started doing like $200 talks, free talks, wherever I could to talk about the techniques in the book. And then, you know, over 15 years, just kind of built that up. And that's, that's what I've 
what I've been doing, kind of refining the process through application, doing ideation sessions inside companies. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, thinking about you building this company as an entrepreneur, like how did, was there a point where you knew you had something, you know, where you were getting some momentum or what did that look like that first year, two or three, as you were getting started? Yeah. You know, I think it was really less from the revenue side and the kind of health of the business, but it was more like I found myself in meetings where I was facilitating and introducing people to this pattern of at least 36 different strategic patterns and you apply them and people were experiencing thinking very differently. And they came up with ideas that they hadn't had before. And then sometimes those ideas got implemented and I would get a phone call or an email two or three years later and say, Hey, that idea that I had, we actually did it, and now it represents $10 million, $100 million in new revenue. And I thought, wow, this is really magical. That, And it's not really me. It's just these, these, these techniques that I kind of took from another ancient text and just applied them, and, um, it, it, and they work. So that's when I realized you know, I was, if there's, the world needs this, and this is something that I'm good at, and I decided just to go deep into that. Wow. And... Um... Did you, and I'm guessing from some of your background, you had relationships with some of the big companies out there or even small that were looking to really make innovation a kind of priority. You know, what have you seen just over time before we jump into the details of your book? But like, just when you think about innovation and that concept, what have you seen trend wise in big companies and small uh, over the time that you've been in this space? Yeah, so I think that. You know, when I first started, really the frame of business and strategy growth and innovation was really about the competition. How do I outthink the competition? Which is why I named that book that, right? And that was, you know, that was, you know, that was the Bill Gates era where people were looking at the competition and trying to outmaneuver them, right? Then you see that we shift and kind of Amazon comes into play and it really becomes about the customer. How do we become hyper customer centric and not care about the competition? If you understand the, 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 the customer better than you win. And I think we're now moving to a third level where it is really about employees. How do we activate employees like Starbucks? They view their employees as their customer, not you and I ordering the coffee. And those are the companies that are winning. We're here to create a context in which employees can really do great things. And so I would say that, 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 that evolution is, is you know, how I would describe how innovation has changed. That's really cool. Well, let's, um, let's pick up on a couple of things out of your first book, or I'll think the competition, how a new generation of strategists see options others ignore. When you think about seeing things that others ignore, and I know this is still relevant today, even though the shift to, to, to customer, like what are some of the things that stood out to you? And as you've worked with groups and, and companies, things that stand out as things that others miss? Yeah. You know, I, what I did, is I looked at how great business innovators talk about how they think. And whenever they describe something of their thinking process, I kind of took it out and tried to put it into a process that we can all apply. And, it, you know, it's not magic. I, I really believe that uh, all models are wrong. <laughs> but some of them are useful. But I love models, so <laughs> yeah, that's a consultant. But they're right? not the truth, right? Right. You know, so uh, you know, when I share the model, I don't want you to say this is the model and this is the only one. But it works, and it basically says if you want to have a really disruptive idea, you want to have five different types habits of, of the outthinker. <laughs> habits of the outthinker, right? So, like the first one is like thinking. I call it imagine. You know, thinking of, about ten moves out. And then working backwards from that. And then dissect is really about picking a part of the business that you don't normally look at. If you're always looking at product, then look at pricing. If you're always looking at pricing, 
then look at promotion. If I look at promotion, look at people. So I got to get these eight Ps. And then the next one is expand. So that's about applying strategic patterns, not logic, to generate lots of ideas. Analyze is where you kind of choose through the ideas. And often the really disruptive idea, I call these things fourth options, the option beyond the obvious option. They're usually appear crazy. And that is what makes them magical because your competitors thinking that you're doing something crazy are not going to copy you. So the key there is to analyze the ideas, leaving space for these crazy ideas. And then the final one is sell. And sell, I don't only mean selling it to the customer, but selling it to your board, selling it to your employees, selling it to your coworkers, your partners. So that's the framework. Imagine, dissect, expand, analyze, sell ideas. So if you want to break through ideas, those are kind of the thought processes you want to make sure that you have. Yeah. And, and when you think about the five habits or the eight dimensions that you highlight around disruption, like is it targeted at any specific individual or level or role within a company? Or what did you find in terms of reception on that first book? Like, who were you finding pick up from? Yeah. You know, I was finding it actually at, at multiple levels. So that first book was, I think, more geared towards entrepreneurs, CEOs, executives who look at the entire business, who think about marketing and think about product and think about people and culture, right? Because that's sort of the message is that you want to look, come up with fourth option across the entire business. But when you're working inside a company, let's say if I'm doing this with an IT group or an HR group, you know, what's really helpful is if you feel like you don't have control over the entire business, you say, well, what if I were an outside IT firm and I'm offering my services internally, and then you have a brand, a reputation, right? You have a pricing mechanism, you have a product. And so I think at all levels, you can apply the strategic thinking. It just depends on kind of what your goal is. Yeah. And for those that are out there that have thought about writing a book or you know, have, have wondered like longevity of a book, oh, by the way, you wrote this in 2011, still applicable today. I mean, it's just cool to see how you know content over time is so impactful. And and it's also, and I, I love this idea that innovation and the idea around it has shifted. And, and that gets us to your second or this next book here, Driving Innovation from Within. And just the idea of how companies today are, are thinking differently around innovation. So let's talk about that one, um, Driving Innovation from Within, a guide for internal entrepreneurs. And Wait, this is the initial book you actually reached out to me on, and I, and I went back and found your other one. But talk about the idea of innovation coming from employees, and 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 you know, a lot of times people think you got to have an innovation group, but you're challenging that and saying, guys, innovation can come from a lot of different places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You no, know, when I originally quit, it kind of made sense because I thought of all the innovators as being entrepreneurs. And I love entrepreneurs. I work with entrepreneurs, right? But if we think about the stories we tell about entrepreneurs, it's, you know, it's Elon Musk, it's the Airbnb guys, it's the Uber guys, it's the Google guys, right? And then, um, but, but, but I wanted to test that. And I look back and I said, well, let's look at the big innovations, the internet, um, email, DNA sequencing, MRIs, the big, big innovations. And what I backtracked and said, who came up with those ideas? And what I found was shocking is actually 70% of those ideas came from employees, not from entrepreneurs. Interesting. And so if you, if you sit on that and you think, well, okay, if it were true that employees were not the innovators, you would not have a mobile phone or email or you not have the internet. You'd not get a stent if you got, if you got sick, right? You, we would live in a radically inferior world. So then I want to unravel that and say, okay, we tell the story of the entrepreneur and that's great. And we should be learning from that. 
that represents a significant portion of it, of innovation. But according to my research, it represents 30%. So what is the path of the internal innovator? So what I found is that companies that are really thriving today, I took, you know, there, there are about 400 companies that have appeared on the best, m- most innovative lists of, of companies over the last five years, um, either Forbes or Fast Company. And I said, okay, if you're really innovating, then you have to be outperforming. Otherwise, it's, you're doing interesting things, but you're not doing it better than your competition. And what I found is that only 13 companies actually outperform, that are both innovative and outperform. And if you look at how they approach innovation, they don't silo it. They might have an incubation lab, but they really try to activate innovative behavior and innovative thought and action across the entire organization through using broad cultural and structural and talent strategies to turn into uh, a company that innovates, everyone innovates. Okay. I love this. I love this idea. And this is, I was hoping you would go here. So many companies are like, oh, this person leads innovation or that's the innovation group over there. But talk about some of the nuances of these, the small subset that have made them successful at making innovation across the business. Like, What is it that's working for them? What is it that's unique that they're doing? Right. So I, you know, I think that there are like if you think of it as there are uh, um, four drivers, and one is leadership. It, it unfortunately usually starts with leadership. Leadership is committed to innovation, and and what they start doing then is they start attracting and cultivating talent. And what's interesting about talent is the talent that's an effective internal innovator is a little different than what you expect an entrepreneur to be. For example, they love politics because to get an idea through an organization requires, you know, you got to manage politics. That's right. You got to manage politics. And it's not like, you know, talk to these people. It's not like, Oh, it's frustrating that, you know, I've got to work through all this politics. It's like, this is a game. That is half of the problem solving uh, problem is, is the process is the politics, right? So that's that's a that's another another piece, and then you got to look at the organizational structural things. There are certain things that have to be in place, like certainly got to provide resources and time for innovation, um, but you also have to have incentives that allow people to take risks. You got to allow people to collaborate across silos, and then you see they start putting those things in place, and then at the cultural level, they do things like really having a culture in which people are encouraged to be in touch with the market, with the customer, with the, you know, the, with competition. Um, it, it, it's a culture that really encourages proactivity. Don't, you don't have to wait for permission. You can take, you can take action. It, it's an agile culture where they understand that an innovative idea requires you often to take, to, to do it in order to prove it. Whereas usually in established organizations, they ask you to prove it before you can do it. Right. So no question. those four yeah. things. Or we'll try it um, first and see how yeah. it goes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. You know, like HP, you know, they, they, they came up with the electric calculator, electronic, first electronic calculator, and they hired a marketing firm. And the marketing firm said, there's no chance of this. There's no chance it's going to have a market because you have a slide rule that's already in the market. And it can do the same thing your calculator could do, but at a much lower cost. So why don't you just shelve the, the product? And they said, well, <laughs> maybe you're right, but let's try it. So they, they, they built a thousand of them and they put them on the market. And before they knew it, they were selling a thousand a day. So it's that kind of activity, you know? Well, and what holds companies back? Like, what is it that, you know, is the biggest one or two reasons that hold companies from back from having an innovation culture or that mindset, especially the big companies, the legacy companies? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, unfortunately, it's a complex 
set of lots of different things, but the things that often pop out are um, one that I mentioned is that you ask people to build the business plan before they take action, when they need to take action in order to prove the plan. Another one is this idea of risk, right? You know, like Jeff Bezos once said, people think that we are risk, that we are, that we are accepting of risk, but actually we are adverse to risk and we never fail. We hate to fail. But what he means is that when we fail, it's not a failure because we learn from that failure and then we improve. So starting to value the learning of failing, right? Taking, uh, he said also, if you if you have a one in ten chance of a hundred times payoff, you got to take that bet every time. But you got to be ready to lose nine times out of ten. So that approach to risk as learning and being willing to take lots of risks, that's, you know, that's another, another big one. Then I guess the third big one that uh, people talk a lot about is the short term in this, right? So often like innovations, you need to do something small now that's going to potentially pay off in the long term. And if you're just managing for quarterly or, or, or annual earnings, then those ideas don't look attractive. No, that's uh, t- totally true. And the other thing you, you mentioned um, was around this whole idea of there being a recipe for generating disruptive ideas. Like, in other words, how do you create the environment for people to either share them, track them, manage them, uh, kind of have a process around that? What have you found to be kind of best practice in that space? Yeah. So, you know, I, I came up with another framework, just being a <laughs> I love it. Framework, you know. <laughs> Um, this one spells innovate. And so I interviewed these 150 internal innovators and asked them, what are the big barriers? And they laid out these, these seven. So this intent is, um, activating a willingness to, to look for, 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 for big ideas. You got to do that. Then need, when people don't understand what the company strategy is, what the company right. needs, then Vision, they come up with innovations going. that yep. they, they don't, they don't, they're not valuable, right? Options is really my first book, Outthink the Competition. How do you generate disruptive fourth option ideas, which we talked about? Um, Z is interesting. I call it value blockers, but really you can think of it as business model conflict. You come up with an idea and there's a natural business model around it. When you're doing it as an entrepreneur, you can just design any business model. When you're doing it as an entrepreneur, then you're doing it within an existing business model. So you got to untangle these business model conflicts. Um, and then act is what I was talking about before, taking action on the idea with small experiments. Uh, T is interesting. It's team. It's usually these innovations internally, they require collaboration across lots of silos. You need someone from marketing, you need someone from finance, you need someone from operations, and those people don't report to the same person. So you need to create this groundswell of support with people working nights and weekends on the idea because they love the idea. And then environment is about managing the internal environment. So you need to be looking at all seven of those and figure out where the major blockages are and start removing those blockages, kind of like a dam that maybe like seven dams and you got to open up each dam and then the innovation really starts flowing. Oh, and I'm afraid I love frameworks for all the, all those structured people (laughs) listening. They're probably like, Oh my God, I love this. Um, (laughs) You mentioned uh, at the beginning, you know, we've, you know, the kind of, Two two phases of innovation that you've seen progress, but you mentioned you you see a third one coming or it's evolving. What does that look like? Before we go, I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, no, I think that you know companies are evolving. We took those seven things that I mentioned. What you'll see is that people are going to organizations are stop, stopping to looking at employees as employees, but at, actually looking at them as as entrepreneurs with 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 you know with self direction, right? They, they they're 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 taking plans that are like complex strategic plans and turning them to simple statements of purpose. Uh, they're they're breaking down large hierarchies and turning them into small 
agile, independent teams. And ultimately what they're evolving is from is a hierarchical top-down structure into an open platform where people are free to see and seize opportunities you know, to the benefit of the company. And so I think that's a really exciting future that we're stepping into. I, I'm, I'm excited to be working in that future. Yeah. And it, that's going to force changes in thought around like HR policy, comp, I mean, all kinds of things, right? Incentives. I mean, that it's really interesting. You have to really rethink that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, should we have one job or should we have lots of jobs? Should you, should you have a mission rather than a, than, than a role, right? Um, you know, um, there, there's, a, there's a company in China that um, they took their whole company and they broke it down to 4,000 micro enterprises with 4,000 CEOs. And it's sort of like an internal marketplace and they're competing with each other. And so I think that that is a kind of the outlines of what the future will look like. Completely different HR structures, policies, certainly. Yeah. Wow. This is so cool. Um, share with our audience where they can find you, how they can connect with you, um, where they can find your books and get you to come speak to their companies. I mean, you've got such a great platform and I mean, bundle of ideas. We could go on for hours, but I want to make sure we connect you with with our audience. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think the easiest place is to go to www.kaihan.net, K-A-I-H-A-N.net. Here you can get my books. You can get um, other tools and yeah, you got some great resources out here. Yeah. Some really great content. You guys check yeah, this I try out. Yeah, to put everything out there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, Kaihan, Dr. Kaihan Krippendorf, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Um, this is a good starter, and I absolutely want you to come back on um, in the next couple of months, and let's dive into like a couple of examples or two in greater detail. I, I would love just to have you back on, especially as you're progressing your, your thought leadership. I would love that. Thanks for the opportunity. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.